from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. He's been an undercover Muslim FBI agent for years and he knows he's lucky. Only by the grace of God that I'm sitting here talking to you today. He's made mistakes. Should have resulted in me getting killed. Tamar Al-Nuri is his undercover persona. I put on Tamar's clothes, put on his watch, drive to location and have a conversation with myself. And anyone who heard him probably thought I was a crazy person because I'm speaking out loud. Memorizing Tamar's identifiers. I call that flipping the switch. ISIS and Al-Qaeda were his targets. They're looking for maximum casualties. Sometimes the tables turned. Death was a heartbeat away. They would search us all and see what's what and who's who. The extraordinary story of Tamar El-Nuri is especially important now as a result of what happened on Halloween, October 31st in New York City, along the West Side Bike Path, coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. It's happened again. A terror attack in New York City. This time, Halloween, October 31st, 2017. All right, so at 3.05 p.m., A male driving a rented Home Depot pickup truck entered the West Side Highway bicycle path at Houston Street, began driving southbound, striking a number of pedestrians and bicyclists along the route. At Chambers Street, the truck collided with a school bus, injuring two adults and two children. After the collision, the driver of the truck, a 29-year-old male, exited the vehicle brandishing two handguns. A uniformed police officer assigned to the first precinct confronted the subject and shot him in the abdomen. The subject was wounded and transported to a local hospital. A paintball gun and a pellet gun were recovered at the scene. The subject's identity is not being released at this time, pending further investigation. At this point, there are eight fatalities reported in connection with this incident. In addition, several people have been injured. New York City Police Commissioner James O'Neill, shortly after the attack took place. A 29-year-old Uzbek man living in the U.S. with a green card rents a truck and takes it to New York City, drives down a bike path mowing down people, jumps out of the truck after it collides with a school bus with fake guns waiting to be killed by police. Authorities say it was a classic case of ISIS-inspired terrorism. No matter where you are in the world, terrorism or the threat of it is probably a reality. Unfortunately, as of today, November 1st, 2017, more than 1,000 terror attacks have taken place this year. More than 6,000 people have been killed. Many, many more have suffered injuries. There are five basic types of terrorism. State-sponsored terrorism, which consists of terrorist acts on a state or government by another state or government. Dissent terrorism, which are terrorist groups that have rebelled against their own government. 
There are terrorists from the left and the right, which are groups rooted in political ideology. There's criminal terrorism, which are terrorist acts used to aid in crime and criminal profit. And the most well-known one, religious terrorism, which are terrorist groups that are extremely religiously motivated. From amongst that large group have risen several subgroups bent on making statements through terrorism. Among them, Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. Our guest today has spent a significant amount of time in the shadows fighting against them, primarily because he's Muslim and he despises what they stand for. His name, Tamar al-Nuri, at least that's the name he uses. It's a pseudonym because he's an undercover Muslim FBI agent and he just wrote a book called American Radical. He joins us and his voice was disguised for obvious reasons on this program to tell us his story. And his is a really intriguing account. Let me just begin by asking the question, why you wrote the book? Well, first off, JJ, uh, one of my international terrorism cases was declassified for trial. Um, so this gives me uh, an opportunity to be a voice for those that don't have one. As you are aware, I offer a unique perspective on a socially relevant topic that's talked about a lot but often misunderstood. It's a rare window, uh, a first of its kind, and I'm very proud of that, into a world that most Americans know very little about. There's been thousands of books about undercover work. There's been thousands of books about terrorism, but there hasn't been one yet about combining the two, undercover national security cases, because Americans need to understand that the brave men and women of the FBI are combating terrorism every day around them to keep our country safe. I hope to honor them uh, with this book. I've been talking to other colleagues of yours for years about the tough road to staying ahead of terrorism. And we're here in Washington. It's very clear that there is a very big concern. I've heard that a lot of the chatter that they hear from inside terror groups mentions the interest, need, and almost the obsession with attacking the nation's capital. Is that what you have heard? Well, here's what terrorists are looking for, uh, specifically uh, with al-Qaeda and ISIS. In my opinion, and I, as you know, I'm not speaking for the FBI or any other law enforcement or intelligence agency, but in my opinion, from my personal experience, they're looking for maximum casualties and maximum exposure for them and minimum exposure for their operatives. They've taken a turn for, since 9-11. Um, they don't want to lose their operatives anymore, but they want their attacks to be um, monumental and covered by the media and it has to make a statement. So that is their thing. I, specifically Washington, D.C. or anything like that? No, that's, I don't think anything's being specific. But if you were to rationally look back and use that rationale to uh, pick it apart, if you will, Washington, D.C. is home to, it's our nation's capital. So that would make sense. But I wholeheartedly believe that we are the safest nation on the planet because of the work that's being done behind the scenes. Let's talk about behind the scenes for a few, a few minutes. Um, tell me about your experience as an undercover Muslim FBI agent. Tell me how you got into it and tell me about what particularly your responsibility has been over the years. 
<clears throat> sure. Well, my career has been in law enforcement before 9-11, and after 9-11, it's changed all of our lives um, in this nation. We woke up to a new war, um, and I vowed that day because once we realized that all the terrorists were Arab Muslims or so-called Muslims, uh, I vowed to be a part of fighting this evil, and I'm thankful uh, that I've been given the platform to be able to do just that. I'm very proud of that work. One of the things that I read, I read a few quotes where you were talking specifically about when you're not afraid, it's time to move on. When, you know, there are certain signs and, and signals that you have to, to recognize. So, and and it's also my understanding that you've been, you, you were working essentially in the heart of these organizations, uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS and others. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in some color or flavor sure. from that Absolutely. experience. Uh, well, doing undercover work, obviously, there's there's a lot of nuances that you have to learn. And sometimes there's training. Obviously, there has to be training. But um, what it comes down to, what it boils down to is experience. Um, when I first started doing undercover, I was doing undercover drug work. And when I first started, and only by the grace of God that I'm sitting here talking to you today, I made a lot of cardinal mistakes that probably should have resulted in me getting hurt or killed. But that's how we learn in any field. But specifically, there was a good amount of fear um, at the beginning of my career, and rightfully so. And I think that helped shape um, who I became as a professional undercover moving forward. Mm -hmm. But towards the end of my 12 year stint of doing drug work, I traded that fear for arrogance, JJ. Mm -hmm. And that is what I mean when I wrote no fear in the book is when you're not afraid anymore, when you're doing this work, um, that's when you can get hurt. That's when you avoid all the signs because you're so cocky and arrogant because you've done it so long that you don't think you can get hurt. And that's what I like to teach at the undercover schools that I teach at. Um, you got to have just enough fear to keep you focused and motivated to stay alive. Give me an experience uh, or, or scenario from a typical day when getting prepared to do what you had to do. What did you need to do to make sure you were ready to go into that world? <clears throat> well, obviously, I have my own personal life um, that I keep very separate from my professional life. So, for example, in this case with Tamrel Nouri um, and, and in this op international terrorism case, I'd wake up in the morning when it was time to go operational and I knew I was traveling covertly, meaning in alias. So I would shower, put on Tamra's clothes, put on his watch, take his wallet, drive his car. I drive to um, location and I would have a conversation with myself, as I mentioned um, recently on 60 Minutes, I, anybody walking by me probably thought I was a crazy person because I'm speaking out loud, reciting my uh, identifiers, my mother's maiden name, uh, my business, locations, uh, everything about that individual. It's, I call that flipping the switch. And when I become that person, I turn the key to his car and I drive to the airport and I'm never anything but that person. Whatever alias or legend I am doing, that's who I am until I arrive back home. Give me uh, an example of, okay, you've done all that and prepared. You're sinking into that world. Give me a scenario from an actual ex experience that you can share from inside the, the terror organization. There's a chapter in your book about the bump 
uh, and which yeah. you know I know is very important. Well, yeah, if we can go right to the bump um, that day, uh, I had to kind of straddle that line that I just explained to you um, between my law enforcement hat and my undercover. Tamar Al-Nuri hat, uh, because I was traveling with a case agent, Nelly, and I needed some intel and um, up-to-the-minute up to uh, information, investigative information before I met uh, Shaheb. Um, but I was able to then flip it right there and then. Once I got my intel and my information, I went back to my room, got changed, and went into Tamar Al-Nuri mode. I didn't want to hear about him. I didn't want to know anything about Shahab anymore. I didn't want to see any photographs. I didn't want to talk to anyone because at that moment it was Tamar El Nuri going to check out some properties in San Jose, California, leaving Houston. And I met Shahab and I wanted it to be natural. I wanted the look on my face to be natural. I needed everything to be natural at that moment so that I can develop this relationship with this individual so that I can accurately gauge his threat level. Tell us exactly what connection he had to whatever terror organization he was involved in. One of the main reasons I wrote this book, JJ, is because of Shaheb Esagayer. Here you are. You have a brilliant, world-renowned scientist, um, IQ off the charts, on the precipice of curing infectious diseases, for God's sake. What a great mind for humanity. And in less than two years, J.J., this man was one step removed from Ayman al-Zawahiri, the leader of al-Qaeda. As a counterterrorism operative, I was fascinated by his story. Um, in an undercover capacity, I was able to draw out that story. And we were able to vet this story. W how he went and left as a lost soul, not wanting to live in this world anymore, he flew to try to cross the border into Afghanistan so he could die a martyr on the battlefield with his Mujahideen brothers. And instead was found and um, trained by Al-Qaeda senior leadership, sent back here to create a terror cell. Um, his primary trainer, as we learn in the book, was Al-Mas'ul, which trans uh, translates to the responsible one. He was one of a handful of people on a planet that meets directly with the leader of Al-Qaeda. And Shaheb's story unfolded, and it's a deep dive into how someone goes from A to B in this arena. Do you think perhaps it was the similarity between the medical backgrounds that he and Zawahri uh, shared that maybe uh, connected them, or was there something else? No, I don't think it had anything to do with anything professional. As Shaheb would say, and probably Zawahiri would say, um, this world, this dunya, is just a test for the next life. Uh -huh. And Shaheb, he, he isn't, and this is uh, why I'm so, I mean, you, you are intimately involved with terrorism and you spent, you've dedicated your career similarly, so you understand the Mujahideen mindset, but that's what I'm hoping every American gets a little glimpse into it. Shaheb, everything he does, day in and day out, he says, فَسَبِيلَ meaning on the path of Allah, which all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we try to keep that moral compass, but he's an extremist to the 100,000th degree. He brushes his teeth so that he doesn't have to waste time going to the dentist so he could stay or on the path of Allah. Uh, but you have to understand, in his mind, that path leads to jihad, and that's, that's where he veers. You're listening to Tamar al-Nuri tell the real-life story 
his own, called The American Radical, inside the world of an undercover FBI Muslim agent. And this is a fascinating story. When we come back, this is what you'll hear. I've been uh, in a lot of hairy situations in the drug world, and I've been in a lot of hair-raising situations uh, when my identity is being called to question. And he'll speak specifically about one episode when he was undercover in the terror world, when it almost all came crashing to an end. When we come back on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. We've been talking on this episode with Tamarel Nouri. He is an undercover Muslim FBI agent, and he got active right after 9-11 because of that sick feeling he felt in his stomach that many of us felt on that day. And being a Muslim, he felt doubly ill that particular day. And he decided he wanted to make a difference, so he's gone undercover and has been making a difference. And it's not something that's easy to do. And we talk all about that in this episode. You know, um, reading your story, there's so much in this fascinating book. I've read a lot of books about stories about counterterrorism and about some people who've been in the shadows. This is, hands down, the most educating, um, the most engaging book that I've ever read. Uh, and uh, I want to thank you for doing it. And a part of the reason, part of the reason why I wanted to thank you for this was because of the fact that you were so good at detailing what it took to be who you were and are in some cases. Uh, still, you're still working, obviously. But um, what what does it take when when the job's done, and or what does it take when you're transitioning from being El Nuri back to who you are? When you leave, when you leave the the situation and and going back home, how how do you do that? You know, that's a great question, JJ, and I and I will probably say that's an area that I am lacking. First off, I really appreciate you uh, saying that, and that's exactly the response I was hoping when people saw this and and read my book. Um, but back to your question, um, yeah, I I did a lot to prepare for getting in role. Um, I did a lot to keep myself, keep that wall up between my personal life and my professional life. And the FBI has helped me tremendously with that. I've had a support system up and down the chain of command. I'm very thankful and appreciative for that. But I think where I lacked the most was that, um, reintegration into real society. I think I probably could have done a little bit of a better job with that. And those uh, that were close to me wouldn't have suffered, um, you know, that area. Right. In that area. Right. What do you say when I ask you the question, what do you think were was your most dangerous moment? Or could you give me an example or a couple of your most dangerous moment? Oh, geez. (laughs) How long is your show? (laughs) I can talk as long as you got time, man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, um, without, cause obviously I can't get into anything, sure. um, just, uh, just other broadly. investigations that haven't been uh, declassified, but I think when my legends in question, especially when I'm in a foreign country and I'm being vetted and I know that backup is nowhere near me and I'm relying on the FBI's backstopping unit and they have 
never let me down, thank God. Um, but I think the difference between counterterrorism, national security, undercover work, and criminal work, or specifically the drug uh, world, is the propensity for violence in doing undercover drug work is so quick. It can happen at the drop of a hat. Whereas even though in the national security realm, we are planning the deaths of thousands, if not tens of thousands of people, it's planning. It's um, operational security. It's countermeasures, counter-surveillance. It's more spycraft than law enforcement at times. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would distinguish. So I've been uh, in a lot of hairy situations in the drug world, and I've been in a lot of um, hair-raising situations uh, when my identity is being called to question. So is there a moment that's um that's 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 not that's not classified that you can share when that came up um, in, in the terror world yeah I, I guess there is one moment um it was here in the united states uh when um a member of the group believed that there was intelligence being leaked from the group to law enforcement and it's there certainly was because it was me and they put us in an area where they would search us all and see what's what and who's who. And thankfully, um, no one got hurt, but um, attention was diverted from me to another individual. Mm -hmm. Are you able to say what group that was, when that was, any specifics? Um, probably not. <laughs> and okay. I'd probably err on the side of caution and say no. Okay, okay. Looking at uh, where we are today uh, in the fight against terrorism, how do you assess the danger factor? How do you assess the risk factor? What's the U.S. facing? Um, I still think, obviously, that our biggest enemy is half the people on the foreign terrorist organization list. Um, radical Islamic functions that are trying to bring down the West. But I also hold true to the fact that we are safer today than we ever have been because of the work of the men and women uh, of the FBI. But I will say that we as a nation, we need to be better educated in the differences because, as you know, and, and you've read in my book, JJ, um, education and inclusion is truly our best defense. What makes us the greatest nation on the planet is the fact that we are a melting pot. We are every race, religion, ethnicity. Uh, we truly are everyone. And when we are threatened by an enemy, chances are we have someone that looks like them and sounds like them to help defeat them. We are so much stronger when we are united than we are divided. So can you give us an example of when you say we need to be better educated, better educated about what specifically for folks who don't have your book in front of them to read at this point? Okay. Great question. Um, when you see an Arab man with a kufi on a Friday going to a mosque, your knee-jerk reaction can't be, oh, here we go again, or here's somebody else, or is he a terrorist, or is he just devout? You need to, we need to understand the differences between a devout Muslim and one who desecrates the religion for political reasons to try to hurt people and, and hurt innocents in our country. Once we can start to see these small, sometimes 
tiny nuances and sometimes blatantly obvious. I don't feel that these terrorism indicators are for law enforcement and in the intelligence community only. This is for every American citizen. We all have to have a hand in defending our homeland. And that starts with the education part. Mm -hmm. One of the things I would be remiss if I did not ask you about this, because it's such a big part of your story, is your faith and your dedication to your faith. Give us an understanding of how important your faith is when it comes to doing this very dangerous and and clearly life-threatening undercover work. Oh, I I appreciate that. Yes, um, a lot of people um, ask, what does it mean to be a patriotic Muslim American? Uh, what I want people to know is it means I love God and country, just like anyone else. The people I work with every day to protect our country, JJ, they're from various faiths and backgrounds. Mm -hmm. But what people need to know is regardless of your spiritual beliefs, we do need to be united. And my religion is being desecrated by this small few, and there's too little understanding in it. Um, And by having Muslim Americans and non-Muslim Americans stand up together against this evil, the terrorists don't stand a chance. So in wrapping this thing up, how how about the issue of uh, technology today? I've been hearing from a lot of your colleagues. The terrorists are are really very good now uh, at doing what they're doing because of the fact of technology, encryption. Uh, you know, various social media applications. And some of this stuff is difficult for the FBI because, you know, cracking encryption is is, is hard. And also, you know, I, I understand that there are not yet some processes in place to give them the opportunity to get past that. So how good are terror groups today? Well, um, that definitely should be a question posed for somebody who is much smarter than me. <laughs> mm. I, uh, I, I'd like to think I know how to work my smartphone and my computer and even my DVR. But um, when it comes to that arena, I leave that to the folks that know what they're doing. I actually go out of my way, JJ, when I have a terrorist hit me up on WhatsApp and he says, go to this Dropbox and all this other stuff. I pick up the phone. And I said, my man, why don't you meet me at the hookah bar? Because I am much better served face to face. I need to read your body language. I need to see your micro expressions. I am not, I mean, listen, I'm not uh, an old man yet, but I feel like a dinosaur with some of this technological stuff. Uh, I'm only 44, but I'd much rather have the human contact. I hear you. I hear you. And, you know, obviously that's what your specialty is. Undercover work, dealing in person with people, tricking bad guys, (laughs) essentially. So it's not about hiding. You know, you do it, you do it, you do it in person. And, you know, that that, that obviously is, is, is the issue. So um, the last thing I'll ask you then specifically is what do you think, based on what your experience has been, uh, is, the, is the strength of terror groups today when it comes to trying, seeking, looking to plot to attack the U.S.? What is their what is their strongest weapon? Um, their strongest weapon is weak-minded individuals uh, who are lost souls. That That's who they're targeting, and that's who they keep throwing um, crap on the walls and seeing what sticks. The stronger we are as a nation, and the, the more educated we are about that crap that they're throwing on the wall, we will be immune to it. 
But when we start infighting and pointing the fingers and doing things, um, everything that's happening, and it isn't just to the Muslim community, it's, it's any division in our nation hurts us. And again, this is my personal opinion. I'm not speaking on behalf of the FBI or any other agency. I'm telling you through my personal experiences, the only way we defeat them is by being united. And the only way we can be united is to understand one another and embrace those differences to defeat this evil. Is there anything, Tamara, that you'd like to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important as it relates to you, your career, what you've done, your book, etc.? You know what? I... I'm very much appreciative of you having me on your show, JJ. Um, I do. I would love for readers to know that there are many Muslim and non-Muslim Americans at the tip of the spear in this global war on terror, not just me. Um, I hope that Americans will sleep better knowing that the FBI has evolved brilliantly over the years to be better capable of handling these threat streams here in the homeland. Um, I have worked with so many patriotic American heroes over the years, and I am so proud to be doing the work that we do. Well, you know what? Thank you so much again, Tamar, for Thank uh, you. taking time to talk to us. And um, please come back to visit. Oh, absolutely. JJ, thank you. You're a gentleman, sir. I appreciate your time. All right, and be safe. You too. Thank you. That was Tamar El Nouri. He wrote a book called The American Radical about his life inside the world of an undercover Muslim FBI agent. And man, how important is that story right now? That's it for this episode. Coming up on our next program, whether it's terrorism, anarchists, cyber criminals, nation states, intelligence, or the U.S.'s own counterintelligence drama that's playing out in the Congress. Join us on Target USA for the latest. Thank you for checking in with us. Follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. You can also let me know what you think at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at WTOP.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, humans. David Smalley here from the Dogma Debate Podcast, right here on Podcast One, where we talk about all the things you're not supposed to discuss at work. Religion, politics, abortion, racism, slavery. And that's only when we open the Bible. We discuss Islam, Islamophobia. What does that even mean? We chat with vegans, animal rights activists, and even visit factory farms to see it for ourselves. I invite people from multiple backgrounds to convert me into their worldview. But as long as they're okay with being respectfully challenged, you better bring your evidence. And I never lose sight of how both the left and the right are seeming to lose their minds. So basically, we're solving all the world's problems right here on Dogma Debate. And you've been missing it. Watch our 360 virtual reality videos on the Podcast One app and download Dogma Debate on iTunes, Stitcher, or PodcastOne.com. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.